Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer source and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jay Asser, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. Today, I'm joined by Phil Wright, CEO at Memorial Regional Hospital South. Phil stepped into the role this past fall and is taking the reins during an interesting time in healthcare, which we'll get into. Phil, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Glad to be here, buddy. So how has it been taking over as CEO of a hospital right now in the current healthcare landscape? The last time you were a CEO of a hospital at Southampton Memorial Hospital was nearly a decade ago. It must feel a lot different right now considering all the new challenges that have popped up over the years, especially following the pandemic. Yeah, you're right. The uh, pandemic was was definitely kind of a once in a, a lifetime experience for everybody. Um, you're right. It's been 10 years uh, since I was in the CEO chair. But honestly, Jay, to be um, frank with you, I- I've been fortunate to uh, have the opportunity to hold um, in between that time some other C-suite level positions that really kept me um, connected still to what you know the major uh, main issues were surrounding healthcare. So I still I still feel pretty connected with with those challenges. Um, it it kind of leads me to the old saying of the more things change, uh, the more things stay the same, right? So I mean there's there's certainly some things um, that are the same that we're still dealing with um, reimbursement issues. We're still dealing with uh, tremendous staffing shortages in certain areas. We're still dealing with, um, you know, a capital shortage when when you've got facilities that are aging and and you need new equipment, you need new buildings, so forth and so on. So I'm not sure a whole lot has changed um, in that arena, but uh, there's certainly some new trends and 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 new issues that uh, maybe if you've been in the business as long as I have, you, we we hadn't dealt with in uh, until now, things like uh, uh, the technology and AI, you know, how do we use it? Um, what's the best case for using it? Uh, competition from very non-traditional health healthcare entities that have gotten into any and all aspects of, of healthcare and, and how we deliver it. Um, and then, you know, I think dealing with a workforce that is certainly different than than what maybe it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, People are motivated in different ways now. The pandemic certainly uh, forced us to look at um, how how people do their their work differently. So uh, different challenges, I think, um, that that certainly, um, you know, have have reared their heads and and something that most CEOs or C-suite level executives are having to think about on a daily basis. Sure. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those as we go on. I want to mention also Memorial Regional Hospital South as a good reputation as a rehabilitation hospital. How are you aiming to build on that now, stepping into the role? And are there challenges that are specific to rehab hospitals right now that maybe differ from some acute care hospitals? Yeah. So Memorial South is a unique hospital. We we actually have an ED and we do surgery here, as well as being um, the, the, the home for our rehabilitation institute. So uh, we, we've got a large number of rehab beds, but we've got uh, some uh, acute care beds. And like I said, 
uh, do do some other um, more traditional hospital things too. So it's it's kind of a unique place, you know. With, with such a rehab focus, I think heading into my first year, uh, there's some there's some opportunities for us to um, grow in um, service lines like orthopedics and and, and MSK uh, sports medicine, sort of some of those service lines that naturally gravitate. Um, toward and feed uh, some of our rehab admissions. Um, we, we are certainly here at South kind of a, um, uh, a referral source for within the system for rehab, but we also serve as a relief valve too uh, for our other hospitals that are very busy throughout South Broward County. And, and you know, we enjoy serving in that capacity too. So nice thing is we've got room and capacity to grow in both uh, the acute care side as well as the rehab side and um, you know my, my hope is to be able to continue to look at you know, innovative uh, equipment and other technologies to help with uh, the patient experience and quality um, and again you know uh, hone in on some of those core things like our sports medicine program and rehab program to try to continue to grow those so um, you know, there's there's certainly challenges to answer your question about rehab um, specifically. Uh, there, there's all types of um, levers there that are being um, pushed and pulled for healthcare organizations to reduce costs, right? So um, whether it's through ACOs or clinically integrated networks or other payer strategies that that folks have come up with, we we all have been um, you know burdened with. <laughs> the uh, challenge of trying to reduce our costs and, and do more with less. So when I think about uh, the utilization of AI and these technologies and stuff, it's it's not really about whether we should do it. It's just there's so many different products and so many different technologies out there that it's really about picking the right one for your organization. Um, that's going to get you to an outcome that ultimately takes care of patients uh, in a more efficient way or in a, in a way that provides better quality. So th those are some of the decisions and and um, challenges, I think, you know, especially on the rehab side that we we've got to figure out. Um, you know, there's there's some initiatives out there. I, I saw the other day with Medicare, I, I believe something called the RCD program review choice demonstration. I think they've They've just um, gone live in, in Alabama, but plan to do more in other states where essentially they're trying to prevent fraud and, and mispayment. So, again, just another sort of uh, crunch on systems to try to make it a little bit more difficult for uh, patients to receive care and, and for hospitals to um, get paid for for that care. So there are all things that if you don't have the right expertise on board, it's going to be more difficult for you. So that's, that's something I certainly see as a challenge moving forward too. Yeah, you've mentioned technology, uh, workforce, obviously. I think workforce has been especially at the forefront for CEOs over the past year, uh, not just in healthcare, but across all, all industries. And I think te that technology aspect that you mentioned plays into that. What has been your approach to tackling some of these labor challenges? And is there something you you feel you can that can be done better or done differently that um, in healthcare maybe you know hasn't been uh, maybe exploring enough of? Yeah, um, 
you know, Jay, I guess I've been around long enough to where I've seen sort of the evolution of how we recruit and retain and, and bring people on uh, from a labor standpoint. You know, I, I think we can do things better, obviously, but there's no sil silver bullet. I mean, um, as as the process evolves and as uh, the culture of the workforce sort of evolves, um, that there are different needs now than there were, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. So what I know every organization must have is a very efficient process for how you bring people on. Um, I've seen too many times before where organizations take three, four, five, six weeks, you know, to go through the hiring process. And from a labor shortage standpoint, that just doesn't work. I mean, um, you know, team members and potential staff members will uh, go elsewhere and look for, for opportunities uh, with other organizations if they feel like they can bring them on uh, faster. So having an efficient process, I think, is, is uh, important. You know, I think you waste time if you don't hire for fit uh, versus, you know, the obvious competency. I mean, I, I think we're all guilty sometimes of wanting to just get the position filled, but you end up wasting more time and money if you've got to replace that person after 60 or 90 days because they uh, were not a good fit or they left the organization for, for you know, some red flag that maybe if you had spent just a few more moments on the front end um, and during that hiring process, getting to know them, et cetera, et cetera, than, than if you did not. So um, I, I'm a true believer of hiring for fit first. And, and obviously a nurse is gonna need to uh, have a, a real nursing degree and nursing credentials and so forth and so on. But I think if you go after culture and fit first, then you have a better chance of, of retaining that person long-term. Um, you know, you, you these days, I, I think with the, the um, competition, especially in, in some uh, non-clinical type positions where folks have choices to go work for, you know, uh, lots of uh, other organizations, whether it's Amazon or, or FedEx or whatever, um, especially for, for the dollars that are being paid, you've got to turn over every single rock, Jay, and, um, um, you know, uh, really make sure you've exhausted all the potential possibilities uh, for bringing people on. And that includes maybe being a little more flexible in, in things that, you know, especially in the healthcare setting, we haven't traditionally been uh, as flexible about. So scheduling and weekends and off hours and working from home, all these things that I think the pandemic forced us to take a second look at. These are things that uh, we're, we're having to really uh, utilize now as recruitment strategies. So um, the last thing I would say is, is if you can really try to personalize that that um, hiring and, and onboarding process, uh, again, with, with labor shortages and in many areas, you've got to find a way to connect uh, with people in a different way, I think, than just sort of the traditional um supervisor and staff member relationship um what i found is that people are seeking that connection they want more of a connection with their supervisors and team members that they work with every day and, and if you can provide that atmosphere 
for them, especially within that first year, which is so crucial um, in any organization, any team members uh, hiring process. If you can do that within that first year, you have a better chance of keeping them on. So that's those are just a few things I think we could all do a little bit better. in. but again, it's it's there's no magic bullet to it. Sure. And you're talking about that relationship um, between uh, employers and employees. That leads me into my next question with uh, labor strikes. Um, I think we're all witnessing a lot of these strikes happening across the country, different industries, but especially in healthcare, at mm -hmm. hospitals. Um, physicians especially appear to be organizing more and more. As a CEO, what are you learning from these movements and how can you apply that now in your role? Yeah, um, I'm not sure uh, the, the, the different movements and strikes and different things uh, are new. They all come and go in waves, right? Um, but for sure in healthcare, uh, organizing and unions and they, they've been around. Um, you know, my, my philosophy has always been and what I've always been taught from, you know, uh, very uh, good mentors that are a lot smarter than me is listen, 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 and listen uh, at every uh, piece and part of the organization from the top to the bottom, from the left to the right. Uh, do a good job listening uh, to your staff, to your employees, your physicians, your, your other stakeholders. Um, more times than not, you'll get the information that you need um, to be able to uh, either make decisions or or help them do their jobs better so that you don't need folks organizing and, and feeling like they don't have a voice. Um, I, I try to do the typical things, town halls, and um, certainly meet with uh, physician groups uh, to try to get guidance and sometimes advice on where uh, they may think the hospital needs to go from a vision and um, um, strategy standpoint. So the more engagement you can have, again, um, with a cross section of the organization, uh, I, I think better off you are and, and the more uh, likely you are not to have to deal with unions and, and organizing and that kind of thing. It's not 100%, but typically, you know, folks just want to be heard. And if they feel like you're addressing their issues, then there's no need for it. You had touched on the technology side of things, uh, AI, of <clears throat> course, is, its presence is growing, it seems, day by day. A lot of these disruptors uh, in the retail space are uh, kind of utilizing it a lot better than some of the, the traditional provider incumbents that we have. How is that dynamic with these disruptors coming in, forcing providers to innovate, hospitals to innovate, and maybe pursue technology that, you know, in the past has, they've, they've been reluctant or hesitant to. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I, I think it can be a good thing. Uh, again, um, if used properly and if used to still provide patient care and, and, and provide what is, is the core of what we do every day, which is, um, you know, caring for patients, then, then I think it could be helpful, Jay. Um, uh, some of those disruptors you're talking about, because they uh, have started or or created a, a business that's um, different from healthcare initially. They they're used to using data and analytics and robotics and all these you know other technologies that in a very touchy feely space like healthcare or at least traditionally 
is is sometimes foreign to us uh, us old heads. Um, you know, we're used to still uh, touching patients and 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 talking to patients, and and I think the more and more we create these solutions around AI and technology, it, it can be a little scary. But on the flip side, you know, uh, all of this technology and innovation, um, again, if used properly. It can do nothing but help uh, the patient process, uh, help us become more efficient, help us make better decisions about how we deliver care, um, help us be more precise and accurate in in the types of uh, medicines potentially and the types of treatments and things that we're able to give. So I'm kind of excited about it. Um, You know, it's it's a very big and broad um subject matter that I think everybody's trying to grapple their their uh, heads and arms around but like most things once we really figure it out and and evolve with it I, I think it's going to take healthcare and the delivery of healthcare to the next level so I'm I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes is it one of those things that you you kind of just have to jump in the deep end sometimes and not be too afraid to fail if you know, you implement a technology and it doesn't work, then you can move on to the next thing. You know, sometimes I feel like leadership is worried about investing too much into a product or technology. And, you know, the the timeline uh, being so long, um, sometimes it's five years, 10 years, whatever, you don't get to see those results. So is it, you, you kind of have to shift your mindset a little bit? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's probably no different than any other um, n- new uh, risk or strategy or plan that an organization undergoes. I mean, uh, even in my organization now, we're having uh, budget and, and strategy conversations. And, you know, there's there's kind of these three buckets, right, of, of doing what you've always done, um, being, being somewhere in the middle of innovation and, and branching out and doing things in in areas of healthcare that uh, maybe aren't foreign to us, but we're just getting accustomed to um, delving into it, you know, um, partnerships and outpatient surgery centers and imaging centers and stuff on the outpatient, uh, you know, delivery side of care and post-acute and those kinds of things. Those are in the middle buckets. We've been doing that stuff for a while, but, you know, how deep and and why do we really want to delve into those things? And then, you know, you've got the third bucket, which is the totally innovative um, side of things that, like you said, if we pour a bunch of resources into Jay and it turns out to be a bust, well, then everybody, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks and, and, and says, how in the world did you do that? You know, um, and on the flip side, we, we could, uh, pour lots of money and resources into something really innovative and technology and AI and all this, and uh, we we get some wonderful wins out of it. And you look like you look like a, a innovative hero. So um, it's it's trying to figure out with those three buckets and you know not having an unlimited um, uh, resources to be able to put into those buckets. It's trying to figure out what that balance is and how much do you put here? How much do you put in the middle? How much do, do you um, maintain what you've been doing, which has been um, you know, successful for, for most organizations for a very long time? You know, I, wh- where do you prioritize and where do you put those things? So that's, that's the challenge. That's 
you know, that's what we're all faced with these days. And I guess that's kind of what makes the job fun. Of course, we're, we've been talking a lot about uh, pain points and challenges that um, are at top of mind right now for CEOs. But I, I also like asking CEOs, especially now that we're entering 2024, what challenges maybe are coming down the road that, you know, maybe nothing is uh, completely new. As you've said, you've been in this industry a long time and you've seen a lot of these same issues, but maybe things that are cyclical or die down and then pop up again. Is there anything that's kind of under the radar right now that you see down the road that that could be it, it dominates uh, your your priority and your your uh, attention? Yeah, work workforce issues um, are certainly something uh, that that we uh, have been dealing with for a while. I think, like you said, um, there have been ebbs and flows in a certain areas of the workforce that have gotten better and have um, certainly declined. Um, areas that we've not had issues with before in the past, traditionally, like I said, maybe some of the, um, you know clinical areas now are all of a sudden, you know, burning platforms and emergencies for us. So that, that'll that be a constant. Uh, I think those things will continue to ebb and flow. You know, there's always um, partnerships with schools and things that everybody's trying to implement and, and those things help. But, you know, over time, uh, especially as, you know, our, our populations get older, we require more resources, we require more people, we require more uh, workers and workforce, it, it just, it becomes uh, something that you really can't, um, you, you really can't hide from and it keeps you up at night. Um, for me locally, you know, my hospital is is a, a somewhat um, aging facility. They've done a wonderful job as most um, organizations have, of, you know, renovating and, and you know, making it look new and fresh, but uh, there's there's certainly a, a case to be made for, um, you know, when it's time to, to start over and, and that requires dollars and capital that, you know, for every organization that, that has a budget, you know, you, you've got to prioritize. So there's some clinical uh, projects and things for me specifically here that I want to get into, as I talked about earlier with um, orthopedics and sports medicine and some other areas that feed into the rehab process. Uh, there's some things here that I'd love to do, but we're we're resource of uh, resource, um, you know, short as well here. Uh, and both on the inside of the hospital and the outside of the hospital, we've got some opportunities um, to maybe do things different so that we're able to grow. Um, so for me, that's that's certainly something that's a little bit of a uh, a pain point for me right now. Um, from a from a, a a throughput and operational standpoint, um, the post acute environment is tough right now. Um, SNFs have shortages in staffing, um, home health agencies, and other um, post acute settings are having trouble with with finding people just like we are. So when that happens, obviously in an acute care hospital, it's time for a patient to, to be discharged and uh, discharged to the next setting, yet the next setting has their issues too. It creates a, a length of stay issue in, in our hospitals and uh, delays in patient care and 
getting people to the next level of care. So it's kind of cyclical, like you said, and it just um, seems to, to to keep coming around and around. We, we've done lots of things here internally within the Memorial Healthcare System to uh, try to address that and be as comprehensive as possible. So we've got partnerships with uh, lots of entities on the post-acute side of things, but it, it, you know, it's, it's not enough, especially when many of those patients either don't have a payer source or have other um, social needs or social determinant sort of health needs that, that we're trying to address. So um, that's, that's one piece I think that keeps me up at night too, is, is how to keep that um, continuity of care uh, for patients in, in Broward County flowing and getting people in the right, right place at the right time. And then lastly, I just want to touch on, you know, there's been a lot of CEO turnover right now. Uh, you have, you yourself, of course, are, you know, stepping into the role. Many of your peers are doing the same. Now that you have been in this role for a few months, what are maybe three pieces of advice or tips you could give to uh, other fellow CEOs that are, that are just joining their uh, hospital or organization right now? Mm, that's a good question. I, I would say I'm going to go back to uh, being a good listener, Jay. Um, again, listen, listen, listen. And in and, and real estate, they say, what, location, location, location. I'm going to say in uh, being a healthcare executive, it's it's listen, listen, listen. Um, be very attuned to, to what's going on in, in your organization. Uh, don't be afraid to turn over rocks that haven't been turned over. Um, because it's just not what was done. I mean, I, I think that's how you learn. That's how you get to know uh, the people in your organization. I make it a routine of mine to try to certainly round every day and go meet somebody new every day. Even in a smaller organization like mine, you know, you don't you don't get the opportunity to always see everybody. So rounding on the night shifts and the weekends and and coming in on off hours and really. Uh, not just asking folks how they're doing, but really um, asking them some poignant questions and purposeful questions about uh, how things are going with their their actual job and 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 how they do their jobs and do you have the resources you need to to get uh, your job done? I think folks appreciate that just as much as you trying to um, engage with them in a more personal way to get to know. Uh, them as well and 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 their families and and uh, what's going on in their lives. So that's that's one thing I've always employed. Um, you know, as a new CEO, uh, I think it's you you have to resist, I think, the urge to want to come in and make sudden changes. Um, my my grandfather, uh, rest in peace, was a pastor of forty plus years at our church and kind of a local civil rights leader and stuff too. And he, he very much so had an old school mentality for being a leader. When I first had my um, first CEO job, he asked me, you know, what are you going to do like the first 10 days? And he was like, if you don't do anything else, you need to go in and just change something, change the paint on the walls, change the light bulbs, you know, change something. And, you know, while I think he was sort of speaking metaphorically uh, about coming in and being the new sheriff in town and laying out a new vision and, and mission and all the strategy and all that, you know, type of thing. I, I think there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, I think coming in and just making changes, you know, just to make changes 
uh, is not always wise either. Um, you need to get in, get get uh, acclimated to the organization, get to know people, understand why certain things maybe were done or not done, and and then I think uh, start gathering some information and data and 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 hopefully uh, put yourself in a position to make decisions after that. So. Don't be afraid to sit back and listen and and observe and and, and then you know make decisions from there. I think uh, mastering and this has been something tough for me, but mastering the art of what I would call strategic delegation, Jay, is uh, important too. Um, you know, if you read any book, every leadership book will tell you, yeah, delegation is important, but I say strategic delegation because I've been in situations where you delegate, but you delegate um, to the wrong person, the wrong project, you know, so you need to get the right project to the right person so that you're uh, hopefully efficiently getting it done. You're not having to jump in and give a lot of feedback. It's within the wheelhouse of the person you're delegating it to um, and so forth and so on. So uh, strategic delegation, I think, is a is a is a key skill too and um you know ultimately being authentic jay i mean you know you you need to have a a, a level of authenticity and genuineness about who you are and and your value system and how that relates back to your leadership style and how you want patients to be taken care of um people can see through um disingenuous uh uh, characteristics and traits pretty pretty easily. So um, you know, I've I've made it a, a a point of mine to just try to be as authentic as possible. You know, there are certainly leaders out there with many different styles: type A, type B, um, people that are introverted, people that are extroverted, um, yellers and screamers, um, people that like kind of being in the the background and and I think there's a place for every one of them. There's no one way to skin a cat. But what you have to do as a leader, for sure, is to um, uh, stay true to who you are. And and I think you, you you can't go wrong if you do that. No, I I think that's great advice. I think not just for CEOs, but any any leadership position. Yeah, that's all the time we have, Phil. Uh, thank you again for. The conversation uh it's been really insightful and yeah you've been very generous with your time we appreciate it well thank you so much jay i appreciate you inviting me and uh look forward to catching up with you soon buddy and thank you for listening to the health leaders podcast we'll be back tuesdays with more healthcare industry insights